0: In recent weeks, the narrative has now switched from public health crisis to the economic recession and how we're going to recover from it. Over 35 million Americans have lost their jobs and filed for unemployment insurance. Businesses are closing for good. Rents are overdue. The World Food Program predicts a massive spike in global hunger. Over a hundred million people will likely fall under the poverty line this year. According to the World Bank, 1.6 billion workers in the informal economy are at risk of losing their livelihoods. This pandemic really exposed the extreme amounts of inequality in our society. In this episode, We're going to discuss the depth of inequality, why it matters, and how it is becoming dangerously unsustainable. An engineer,
1: banker, and dancer go on a hike.
2: They realize how things have changed and start a podcast. Hi,
0: I'm Jed, the banker. I'm Shikar,
2: the engineer. And I'm Adrian, the dancer. And we
0: are THC. We break down topics, meet pioneers, and share ideas.
2: Welcome to Things Have Changed.
0: As all of these questions about inequality come up, I was wondering... How much like, you know, they always talk about like, oh, the 1%, the 1% is this, the 1% of that fucking memes about the 1%, right? And I was thinking like, how much do they really own? Like, what is is the degree of inequality that exists in America? And it was staggering. There's three people in America that own as much as the bottom 50%, right? Whoa, whoa, whoa,
1: whoa, whoa, whoa. 50%?
0: 50 fucking percent. This is three people, okay? So three people in this country own as much as uh, the bottom 50% of the population. Let that it, sink in for a second. 100
1: and what is it? 55, 160 million people.
2: 300. Is that?
1: Well, 50%, we have 300. Bottom 50%. Oh, oh, oh whoa, what whoa. Yes, this yeah. guy's doing, like, doing, mental thought, sure. yeah, doing, yeah, doing mental Christ. math. Jesus Christ.
0: Jeez, bro. Let us keep up.
1: I'm trying to... Picture it like <laughs> one fifty million what
0: that's yeah, yeah, yeah I mean good point that's that's maybe about hundred and sixty million people yep. who um have the same wealth as three fucking people, so it, it quite mind boggling right it it's a reflection of uh the current inequality that we are experiencing right yeah. now in America, so what's weird about it as well is that we're talking about America here right um a largely industrialized nation, um, one of the biggest economies in the world, right? And yet we still have high inequality. We haven't figured it out yet. Unlike the Nordic regions like Sweden and Denmark, who all have like really low um, inequality.
2: And it's not just the top 1%. Even if you take the top 10%, like there is this uh, Wall Street Journal article where they compare the U.S. CEO pay relative to workers on average, right? Mm -hmm. In 1965, it was around 20 times. So the CEO gets paid on an average 20 times more than the average median salary of the worker in his or her company. 20 times in 1965. Today, it's almost 300 times more than the average worker wage.
0: And they're not so, working
2: 300
1: times harder.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And a lot of the salary is pegged on stock and, and assets. So it just grows with time. So your inequality tends to compound with time.
1: To look back
2: a bit and why that's the case and why it's gotten
1: so bad and how that gap is just widening drastically, we can look at minimum wage. How much has minimum wage increased throughout these years? I think uh, the federal minimum wage has been seven twenty-five since two thousand ten. So for Jeez. ten years, minimum wage has been fixed. That doesn't mean that the economy hasn't been growing, and we've had inflation. We have we've had great growth. You look at the stock market, how much it's gone up. Companies are making money, cash flows are strong, but yet the minimum wage federally was stuck at yeah, seven twenty-five, yeah. and we did have. Varying levels of minimum wage in different states, of course, California, New York, D.C., uh, expensive states have addressed this issue and have begun to increase the minimum wage. Um, but it's still not up to par with relative to uh, what buying power people would have nowadays. Mm-hmm. And when you compare it to back in the day, what the minimum wage was to what it is today, people can't... It's not, these minimum wages aren't even living, uh, living up to living standards. They're so low that people aren't able to make a living on these minimum wages.
0: Right? So, I mean, it's good you pointed that out because that really is the problem with inequality, right? There's nothing particularly wrong about accumulating wealth and and making a lot of money, right? It what's wrong with inequality is the um, the rest of the symptoms that come with inequality, like poverty, which is um, one of the biggest biggest reasons why uh, this is becoming a, a topic of interest recently, is because even if we've had such crazy globalization and people generating more wealth and, and productivity in general, but the problem with that is that there's still that bottom 5-10% of people that can't have a completely normal life, right? Uh, Basic human needs can't be met um, in that bottom 10% below the poverty line, for example, in other countries, right? They can't feed themselves. They have wages that don't sustain them in the cities that they live in. Uh, That's why that's, I think that's a a big reason of why the topic has come up. Also, I mean, one big thing is if, if you've been paying attention to just economics in general, right? The uh, economics world, Thomas Piketty wrote the book *Capital in the Twenty-First Century*, and this was the most popular economic book, right, in history. Right now, it has sold more copies, right, than, than the Bible. No, come on, man. That, that'll be the all-time. <laughs> that's like a continuous Harry Potter. Day. That's the same shit. Uh, but you know, basically, to explain the thesis of this, right, what what Thomas Piketty did was that he went back and looked um since the 1900s the level of wealth accumulation the level of income inequality um and compiled all this data right so he he made it possible for us to see inequality for what it is right he compiled all that data and started talking about it right um central to his thesis just to kind of uh give an overview of like what capital in the 21st century is and why it was so important for, um, inequality is that he talked about, um, this concept of R greater than G, right? So not to go too much into the math, but you can think about it as R is the rate of return for capital, right? How much are you getting back for the things that you owe? So I can either be saving your wealth in the bank and making that a savings, um, return on what you play within the stock market. Right? And all of the other things you can do with capital, what is the retain uh, rate of return of capital? So how do you do that? You combine all those rates of return, and you see what that is, right? And then you have g, which is g is just um, growth of the economy, right? You can think about g as the growth of GDP, right growth of GDP. So his thesis is saying, when R is greater than g, um, inequality arises, right. How do we know how to think about inequality, right? How do, how can we see that in a country? How do we know that United States is, is more unequal than let's say, uh, Norway, right? So we have something called the Gini coefficient. So it's a pretty important thing. I mean, if, if you've ever looked into like, um, a topic on inequality, the economists are always going to talk about like, what's the Gini coefficient, right? Like how high is the Gini coefficient? all you have to remember it's a measure
2: is, of inequality
0: it's a measure of inequality okay. yep it's a measure of inequality if the greater the gini coefficient the more inequality there is right uh if you had a gini coefficient of 0 your places your country's hell equal right everybody yeah. can do the same thing that is socialism right basically everybody's just earning the same wages everybody has the same capital stock um depending on if you are talking about income or or wealth and then if it's one, it's completely unequal. Only one person holds all the wealth in that country where if the Gini coefficient is one, yeah, right? North Korea. Yeah. North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> that could be the case, right? But that's, that's quite impossible. Everybody has like assets and stuff, right? But if nobody else had assets, that would be a Gini coefficient of one. So put that into perspective. The United States right? A first world country, dude, a first world country where we all pay taxes, pretty decent tax rate. We all have innovation. Our kids are all going to school and all that shit.
2: You have to sell us
0: (laughs) (laughs) among the the highest earning countries in the world. We have the highest Gini coefficient. Ridiculous.
1: What are are we ranked like number one?
0: Yeah, yeah we are number one out yeah. of the G7 countries. But obviously there are other countries that are more extreme than us, right? Where that's the case. But um also the data could be flawed for some of those countries anyway, so it'd be hard to to measure that really. But the point is there's, Hey, we fudge numbers
2: here too. So yeah, exactly. we're probably really equal. For all you know,
0: <laughs> we don't know, dude. We don't know. That's that's the whole point. But but the problem with that is that you know, with all this inequality, again. It creates poverty, right? Civil unrest, typically, right? Um, Because Piketty started the conversation, following policies will make its way. Guess what his solution is, though, to all this shit, right? Mm -hmm. Guess what Thomas Piketty, the guy who started looking at all this data, guess what his solution is towards inequality?
1: Hand out $1,000 checks every
0: month. (laughs) (laughs) No, no more, no more guesses uh or how to solve inequality how would you solve inequality dude staggered taxes progressive taxation you know what about. actually
1: i was i was thinking about how the tax st- structure currently works how it's uh, incremental like a ladder yeah and even though it's a ladder and when you make more you you pay more in taxes percent wise but there's so many loopholes there's so many ways to get around it uh real yeah. estate there's plus has stocks, it works long-term gains there's so many ways to finesse the system i was thinking would it be more effective to rather than instead of taxing the wealthy more uh creating like an inequality fund so that instead of having it go into taxes where the government can do whatever they want with it where it doesn't actually go directly to helping underprivileged uh students in uh low class region you know like directly helping that problem it could go to military it could go to mm. medical whatever you, you don't yeah. know the
2: accounting accurate you heard it here first before <laughs> someone gets on this
1: <laughs> why don't we just start like a inequality fund you know and like invest that in, in the stock market fund. and then pay out dividends so. you know
2: what would be great if it's an inequality fund the fund should be unequal <laughs> So it should be handing it back to the wealthy folks.
0: You know, what's funny is that, what the hell, dude, an inequality fund? A fund made for inequality? I would love to hear what the people on the bottom side of the ladder think about that shit.
1: <laughs> it doesn't even no, have to but, be a fund, just like, you know, right? like, and, like you say, reallocating to those. Yeah, yeah so, I mean. Need needed the most.
0: Dude, so there aren't uh, there are institutions today that do that kind of shit, right? There's sovereign funds. Countries have sovereign funds where they use that invest back in the people of this place, right? The country has sovereign. I don't don't remember which exact Nordic country has a massive. I think it's Norway that has a massive um, sovereign fund, sovereignty fund. Everybody has to give taxes to that. All goes to that fund. Is the
2: Saudi uh, sovereign fund? That's. uh, I guess they're helping to balance the scales a bit, right? I mean, they're pumping money in all these uh, <laughs> startups right. like Uber right. and DoorDash and but... we get free delivery. And so they're kind of uh, equalizing rich VC money <laughs> so that we get Are th- free rides so, from I mean, time to
0: time. Okay, wait, wait. Um, that's a little bit of a complicated topic <laughs> just because of the, the House of Saad and everything. We can't really get into the politics of that. But here's one thing. They all get free healthcare, right? That's one thing. Whether that helps or not, whatever everybody gets free healthcare, right? But whether they, there's more inequality inherent in that because yeah. he there's an inequality for opportunity, right? That we don't know those things. But in terms of that, yes, like that, it's meant to um to to allocate a little bit.
1: I have two stats that are pretty wild for a minimum wage. So there was a CBO did a study in 2019 on the theoretical effects of a federal minimum wage increase in three scenarios doing it to $10, $12 or $15 by 2025. And they found that obviously economically, if you increase it the most, then you will unemployed the most because it will be difficult to hire and keep paying people high wages. But another interesting stat I found, um, it's, it's uh, theoretical, but between 1990 and 2015, If the minimum wage was raised by $1 in each state, it might have saved more than 27,000 lives, according to a journal in Epidemiology and Community Health, based on suicides, because finances are really difficult for a lot of people. Some people get to the point where they just can't, they're under so much stress having to deal with paying, putting money, putting food on the table for their family or kids, And it just gets to the point where there's been a lot of suicides because of financial hardships. So I thought that was just wild. Like if we could save 27,000 lives by just raising minimum wage, that's kind of a no-brainer. Raising the minimum wage reduces crime by three to five percent, according to a a study by the Council of Economic Advisers in the White House. So there's a lot of benefits I see.
0: That's that's just one of the solutions though, right? Um, one of the to, many, yeah. To deal with it is to deal with minimum wage. But I think the problem, dude, the problem is so big. It's not only about wages, right? We talked about wealth inequality. Yeah. Like you can't just raise minimum wage and ignore everybody else that gets like a trust fund from their parents. Like
1: The, the amount of access that the wealthy have to investments, vehicles, to real estate, to... St- Different kinds of uh, ways to grow their wealth is yeah. I mean, you have an in.
2: compared to someone in the lower class. Your network itself is worth a lot of money.
0: And it just it just yeah.
1: compounds. Like you have a family that's very wealthy, parents doing really well, executives at some company, and what they do is they put their kids in some summer camp after school program in coding or some, you know, whatever it is, science. And uh, I was reading in outliers. Um, Some of the statistics are flawed, but um, I thought it was interesting that they pointed out that the IQ of kids that attend summer camps and stay in some kind of after school program over summer, the IQ of those kids is higher than kids that are underprivileged. Parents can't afford to put them in some after school program. And what they do is they help around the house or they do a summer job or something where they're not really learning or getting uh some kind of an education uh beyond just school. So that just puts them at a disadvantage because they just don't have those yeah. the access and resources.
0: Thus uh poverty cycle, right? So if they're in poverty, it's very, very difficult to break in to become rich. Again, we're not saying that it's bad to accumulate wealth. It's just that um when when inequality gets too uh grave right then there's poverty that's created and, and people are dying because of that and the trap in itself makes it so much more difficult for them to get out of that situation if they wanted to right yeah. so
2: i think just the debt yeah and... just
0: debt trap as well yeah. that's something they can get into and that's something americans are <laughs> even corporations are doing that shit right everybody's asking for debt right now so to get back to what Piketty thinks should should be a solution um, one of the many solutions he claims that there are many more that, that can be made. But he thinks a global wealth tax would be something that, that we'd consider. He says that probably we won't do it. it it's yeah. not something that policymakers like um, to yeah. tax the wealthy. That's the whole system of capitalism, right? It's it's made under the assumption that we have to protect property and yeah. capitalism.
2: And also there's this crazy stat where the debt of the poorest americans have more or less doubled since 2000 so how do you get out of the debt to even be able to amass a certain amount of wealth
0: it's it's a difficult thing to to think about how um, system is made for the rich and just like the rich get get richer now at a faster rate than than the poor get rich right or poor can just be stuck in a trap where generations and generations of your family will not be able to like get out, get out of that trap. And then you're, you're stuck in the same circles of like, um, violence and, and everything that comes with poverty, right?
2: Even, even health, right? Because you're, Mm -hmm. um, you're not exposed to the same type of food, um, bad living conditions. Um, the one thing that this, um, pandemic the virus has shown us is it's largely skewed against uh, poorer communities Mm -hmm. uh, because of the lack of um, necessary healthcare and
0: education yeah as well like that's another thing like if you're in like a really nice neighborhood that that has a great educational system you're probably going to go out there and go into a job that's like higher paying right and that just like compounds you and your family's wealth already yeah um and then we have the whole uh, access to credit to borrowing i mean
2: yeah that's it's a big so one
1: so stacked against people in the lower class with especially in covid right now uh, the credit uh, credit reports uh, scores that were required to be uh, to get lending for houses gone up down payments needed also went up to 20% at some point who's going to have no one in the lower class is going to have enough saved up to purchase a home nowadays they've gotten so expensive and real estate is a great way to accumulate wealth it's it's a way to basically pay for where you're going to live and you're accumulating some equity and then eventually you own that house outright and that's
0: yeah it's also I a tax shield
1: ma- a tax shield and it's a big aspect of wealth accumulation in the US it's huge how many people have became millionaires because of their homes
2: yeah, that, it's ridiculous. I, I lived in New York for a bit. My landlord was, I remember this, I was, he was, I guess, dressed like any other landlord, not really too flashy, sweeping outside the apartment. And I say hi to him, and I'm just standing there. He takes out a key from his pocket, unlocks his bends sls amg and just drives off and i'm like ah what did i just
0: see simple man simple man owns a lot of wealth doesn't have to do shit but sweep italian dude
2: (laughs) yeah so he's got that uh, he for sure uh, made it out
0: dude that's the thing right this to aggregate wealth you need to be able to have access to real estate so in 1983 right the upper income people people who are making a lot of money already they own about 60% of the US aggregate wealth, right? Middle income, about like 30 to 32%, right? The lowest, the lowest income, the lower income bracket, they own 7% of the wealth. 2016, bro, fast forward to 2016 from 1983, right? It's been a long damn time. The upper income now owns 79%. Middle income now owns 17% of that wealth. And the lower income got even fucking lower from 7%. It went down to 4%. So you can see where this is going. The rate of growth just by those numbers, right? The rate of growth for upper income is just much higher than the rate of growth of middle and, and lower. And we know what inequality causes more poverty, right? Yeah. So, um, and as part of this conversation, we can't ignore as well, something that we'll uh, go deeper on in in another episode the implications of a racial wealth inequality and wa- racial um, income inequality yeah. right that is a whole different ball game the socioeconomic surface of inequality is complex and we we don't currently have the tools to dismantle that it'll take us some time to understand um, what the beginnings and, and what the solutions are going to be for um, racial income and wealth inequality. Um, But that's something we definitely have to talk about. One specific policy that just points that out um, in, in the very beginning is redlining, right? Where African-American communities were prevented from buying, um, uh, homes in really productive areas where the, the values of those houses would generally be higher. People, white people were afraid of having um, African-Americans in their community to devalue. And we just talked about capital, right? So that's a topic we definitely want to go into in the future, but we want to acknowledge that that is also a part of the problem.
2: Thanks for listening to Things Have Changed.
0: Be sure to subscribe to never miss
1: an episode and follow us on our Instagram at THC underscore pod.
0: We're going to see you next time.